Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Today is a very special episode because I get to chat with one of my favorite people in the world, my old roommate, Mariah Ely. Mariah Ely is a lot of things. She's going to tell us about those. She is a new mom. She is a therapist. She is a friend of mine. She is a wife. She is all kinds of different identities and she processes them in such a wonderful and thoughtful way. So I'm very excited to share this interview with everybody and I am looking forward to everybody's reaction to this interview and uh, also getting a text probably from Mariah about how this intro uh, made her uncomfortable. So let's get into it. I'm Ryan Beck and this is The Meaning of Life. Okay, I think we're recording. I feel so old when I have to do stuff like this. It's fine. And if it doesn't, we have the Zoom thing as well. So it's all good. Okay, good. Um, um, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I know you have a busy day. Well, you know what? I feel like I bullied you a little bit into inviting me. On no, not podcast. at all. Not at all. <laughs> and also, you know that I like when you bully me. So it's all fine. <laughs> well, then I was like, I bullied him. And now do I actually have anything poignant to add here? Well, no, it's not like that. I don't need anything like that. We'll we'll just chat and, you know, it's going to be fun. Yeah. The first question, as always, is just, will you tell me who you are? Tell me your name and who you are. Mariah Ely. And I know people usually start with what they do for a living, but I'm going to start with, I'm a new mom, Ooh. a fairly new wife, and a lover of Broadway theater, and a therapist, last. And a therapist, yeah, <laughs> at the end. Do you feel like you, um, I mean, you wanted to start with the other stuff? Yeah. Is that like how you view yourself, or, did, or are you just trying to mix it up? Both. I feel like I do view myself as a therapist, but I also feel like we are taught to identify with our career, which is a little weird in our culture that we do that. Like in America or like in human nature? I think in the West. Yeah. Don't you think? I mean, I, I haven't... I, look, I have not traveled much at all. You know me. I'm, I don't go anywhere. And we were supposed to last year, and obviously that oh, didn't work no. out. Where were you so. supposed to go? We were packed for our honeymoon. But where was it? We were going to go to Puerto Rico, but then we were going to, I was also going to be um, going to the Glasgow Comedy Festival and we were oh. going to just like globetrot a little bit over the, the year. I had a lot of things set up like internationally, which was very cool and then all kind of went bust. But I was newly married for four months and then we went into quarantine and you were married for uh, less than that, right? I got married in November, December, January, February. Yeah, about four months too. Yeah. So... How did that did that change your relationship? I know you were already really close with your husband and you guys uh, now have a baby. So mm -hmm. it's like, how did how did the lockdown change things for you or did it? Um, so I always say this about my husband, but I could spend countless hours with him and never get bored of him or never get, uh, s you know, sick of spending time with him. But he doesn't feel the same. <laughs> <way>. <laughs> But he says that he doesn't he can he can't spend that much time with anybody. So I actually really loved spending a lot of time with him and we both worked from home when we lived in New York and it was a tiny apartment so I spent most of my time in our bedroom having virtual sessions with people and he spent most of the time in the living room. But um I think I really enjoyed that. He started to lose his mind a little bit. And then we moved to Philly, and now we have a much larger space. Um, and 
when the baby came, our relationship changed a bit because I had pretty bad postpartum for like a good month or two. Um, <clears throat> and he's a great, uh, very accommodating, very lovely person. So he just kind of went with it. And only in hindsight was he like, wow, that was really wild. Yeah. Um, but something that I think was really great was that we got to spend so much time with the baby. Whereas yeah. maybe we would have had very different schedules and had to figure it out um, pretty early on in his life. But for the last almost, he's eight months, um, we've both spent so much time with him. I have several friends who've had children, um, well, prior to and during the lockdown and the crazy year that was 2020 and continuing still. But um, it seems like it's, immensely hard but also you try to be grateful for the time that you can spend but mm -hmm. i want to ask you about the postpartum thing if i can because sure. i feel like that's a term that you hear all the time is like postpartum depression and people it's uh such a uh, ubiquitous term where it's like it's in the ether and it and yeah. it's one of those things where it's like yeah that's a bummer to have but like nobody really knows what that is C can you tell me like what is it does yeah. it start immediately after um having the baby is it like, do you feel it coming on like, oh, no, I'm going to not have this in my belly anymore? Or what? what is it? So clinically, there's something called like baby blues, which is just kind of a hormonal shift that happens once you have the baby, um, which is probably more accurate to what I had. And then postpartum depression is more of a lasting um, experience and like a uh, set of symptoms. So for me, my experience was, first of all, as a therapist, I knew that it was a possibility that I would have this happen because it's sort of like biochemical. Like it's not something you can necessarily control for. Um, but when I started to cry constantly, I was like, huh, this is not typical for me. So... <laughs> Um, I ended up very quickly getting a therapist who specialized in postpartum depression and anxiety and joining a therapy group. So I do think it needs to be normalized because it's not really talked about, especially with social media. We see a lot of beautiful pictures of like someone very dolled up holding their newborn baby looking just like you know, blissful. And that's not really what happens for a lot of women. Um, so for me, my experience was just like a lot of crying, a lot of feeling, a loss of identity, not knowing specifically like who I was anymore or like what to do with my time, especially in uh, this pandemic situation, having a baby, you're isolated at home. You can't have a lot of people come and help you. Yeah. Typically, you have family members or friends or, you know, people come and um, just spend time with you even and, like, do your dishes. And that didn't really happen with us. The identity thing is really wild to me because, like, you weren't pregnant. Then you got pregnant. And mm -hmm. it seems like it became I'm going to be a mother or I'm an expectant mother, I guess, is yeah. became so rooted in your identity that you say that that not having that anymore was such a big shift. It's 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 just wild the what the hormones that happen to you when you're pregnant. Yeah. It's really it's a crazy ride when you think about 
what your body does to um, keep you and your unborn baby safe. And then once the baby's out of you, your body has to like adjust to that. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of women, it's a blissful time and it's wonderful. And those hormones really create a sense of um, attachment and to your baby and like a sense of identity about being a mom. And then for a lot of women, it's like the complete opposite. Um, and you just don't know what you're going to get until it happens. Yeah. And it's just so, really hard to not sleep. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I know that's definitely the case. It's like sleep is so important to for your mood and for just your overall health and, yeah. and to not have that, but also have to give so much energy to keeping some, someone else alive suddenly mm -hmm. yeah. is really tough. So you are a therapist and you're you just said that you got a therapist for to help you with your depression. Yeah. Is is it harder when you know like academically you know what these things are and you're like aware of what's happening in your brain and you still feel it? You, you know, you, there's still the emotional component. You're like, I understand why this is happening. I have tools that I will tell other people to use. Mm -hmm. And then you still feel that. So it has to be like an added level of frustration when you have a, a problem, right? Yeah. I think it's an occupational hazard to have like a lot of insight and self-awareness um, and then experience things that you maybe never have before. Like I never had experienced like the darkness that I felt after having a baby for a lasting period of time like you know weeks to months um I've always had anxiety so I've always had moments where I knew something was you know an unhelpful thought or an intrusive thought or came from some kind of history or family experience that I could kind of label and so I help people do that. But um, in general, when you are a therapist and you get a therapist, you want someone who can kind of have a good bullshit detector, as Brene Brown says. Brene Brown's a, a mm -hmm. social oh, worker. Oh, I'm well aware. I know. I was going I got to the say. Books. Oh, yeah. <gasps> yes. She's like my spirit animal. Um, <laughs> she says a good bullshit detector for other therapists because you can kind of like you kind of know you're savvy about how to sort of shut yourself down too. It's not all about being like really introspective. It can actually be that you, you're really good at like putting your defenses up a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, being a therapist and then experiencing symptoms of something is I think incredibly normal and, I think when you're seen as an expert, it can feel like you're not allowed to have like normal human experiences and that's not really fair to us. Mm -hmm. um, it also helps make you really empathize with other people because you understand what they're going through. Yeah. Or you try That's probably to. really useful. Yeah. So talking about that empathy that you kind of like i mean do you feel like you're a better therapist for having gone through postpartum depression can you like add that bullet point to your your resume like <laughs> i can deal with this now i think that you don't have to understand someone's experience by having gone through it yourself in order to be helpful but i know something now that i didn't know before 
And I think it just gives good context to somebody else's experience. And um, at the same time, you do have to be careful of like projecting what your experience was onto the person who had might have a completely different experience than you with the same issue. That there's no way that I could be a therapist because I would be projecting all over the place. Like, it just seems like that's how you get. I mean, that's how a lot of people communicate with their friends. We're like, well, when I was going through this and that's that's not what your job is. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind of a, a misconception, maybe, of licensed clinical social workers, therapists. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, it's just like someone who will, has all the answers. You don't have the answers. You mm-hmm. tell people you don't have the answers. They still come to you looking for them. And you're like, I just have tools and ideas and want to make you aware of what's happening in your brain. Yeah, there's a, a concept called use of self. And it's when you can really consciously identify something that you might that might be helpful to the person that you're working with. And it might be a self-disclosure of sorts. It might be something that you can say, well, this happened to me, or I just want to tell you that I've experienced the same thing. Or, And you have to be really aware of whether you're using it to talk about yourself mm. or whether you're using it to really help somebody um, feel understood. Yeah. So. Yeah, I bet it's really tempting sometimes to be like, well, I also had this or yeah. something like that. Yeah. I don't know that you would be projecting a lot, though. Oh, uh, yeah, I would. Definitely. I mean, my entire <laughs> career as a stand-up comedian is to just uh, share my side of things. So I don't see that um, toning mm-hmm. that down. I don't know. I think that your career as a stand-up comedian is really understanding like the nuances of the human experience. And I feel like you have to have a lot of empathy to do that. Well, I appreciate that. That's very sweet. Um I want to ask about just like you probably encounter people. You don't I don't obviously don't need specifics. There's confidentiality and I'm not asking for that. But you probably encounter people who are struggling with a lot of what is covered on this podcast typically about identity and purpose and the meaning of anything and a reason to go on. And I don't expect you to have some kind of glowing answer. But when people do come to you with these like really big picture things, how, what do you say to them and how do you separate what you personally feel from what might be helpful for each case? I usually ask a lot of questions. Mm, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> because I think most people are just trying to find meaning and maybe that's the meaning of mm. life. You know what I mean? <laughs> Self-discovery or what do you enjoy? Things like that. Yeah. Or finding meaning in... The tragedies and the traumas, um, not feeling like a constant sense of dread or anxiety or fear. Most people that I see have mostly experiences of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you find meaning, when you're trying to find meaning in something, it gives you the purpose, if that makes sense. Like I hate the term find your purpose or like we've kind of had this like Oprah goop sort of like definition of like purpose and meaning like you're supposed to somehow find it and then you'll be happy right when maybe it's all about growth and educating ourselves and learning new things and experiencing new things and not ever really getting to some kind of goal of like being self-actualized or perfect 
You know what this reminds me of is like when you're dating and you're sing when you're single and you want to be in a relationship and mm -hmm. you hear a lot of people use phrases like I want to find my better half or I want to mm -hmm. find my person or some I need someone that to complete me. And it yeah. and in it's language is interesting in this way because those are just sentences but what they imply is that you're an incomplete person. You need mm -hmm. you're only half of what you should be and all of yeah. that you know, and you need another person to fill that. And those relationships for them typically that you find when you're feeling that way don't work out. Like it's not going to work if you're looking for someone else to solve your emotional issues. Mm -hmm. And which is a, a, a large reason why my wife now, like I stopped dating her. We broke up for a year before we got back together because I was feeling incomplete and scatterbrained and immature. And just I didn't know who I was. And I could feel that it was... um not trending our relationship in the same way. And when I worked on myself and finally felt more whole, we were able to, thank God, like pick it back up and have like a healthy relationship that's only gets stronger. Like this is my friend. I know who I am. I know who she is. And we can be develop a partnership. So what you're speaking to, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that to look for a purpose and expect an answer will solve whatever you're feeling is maybe the wrong way to go about it. Yeah, it's kind of like managing expectations for life. And I think we live in a culture, especially right now with how much you can compare yourself to other people's uh, depictions of their lives. Um, we set the bar so high for ourselves that we're supposed to have a really successful career and we're supposed to meet the person that we're going to be with for the rest of our lives at a certain age and we're supposed to have a certain amount of children by a certain age and a certain amount of money and then we'll be happy. Yeah. And that's ridiculous if you really think about it. Yeah, it's a lot. And then and then the you know, I don't know if it's like a product of the 1950s or just any kind of Americana thing, but it's like you never see people depicted in any shows or pop culture or any of the stuff that we consume regularly who have all have done all those things. And now what do they do? Like, I'm really fascinated to start to speak to older people and people in, a, in the like second transition of your life. I would say you and I are in our first. We're getting married. You know, mm -hmm. kids are on the way, families were starting this chapter. But after your kid moves out, <laughs> that's another huge shift. Yeah. And and that's a part of life that you, you really never see people talk about. Because then it's like you're either a grandparent or you're just in the way. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it's like, does that mean these people don't have uh, a reason to get up anymore or, or whatever? And And so I'm really fascinated by that. Yeah, we value youth in this culture to the extent that we don't think about that second part of our lives where we might still be learning about ourselves. We might mm -hmm. change careers or we might adopt kids or, you know, there's a lot of different things that can happen that people don't really allow into their psyche because we're so indoctrinated in this idea that we have to find our purpose and our bliss or whatever the hashtags right. are by like 30 yeah. And, and it's so scary to me to think like there's um, a moment where you have a now what? Mm -hmm. Now what do I do? And that mm -hmm. moment is so so terrifying. So I think I really need to um, start to find more people who can speak to that and go through it. Because I feel like you and I are going to do our best with everything that we've learned to not have to deal with that. But like you went through 
ha- after the baby. It's like you don't really control your emotions. Yeah. They're just kind of come at you and, and it's like, here you go. And you're like, I don't want to feel this way. Yeah. I didn't know that would happen. I didn't know a pandemic would happen. None of us did. I yeah. Mean, some people did and warned us for a while. <laughs> but we can, I think that's the thing that's like so faulty is that we think that we have all this power to control our circumstances and then like the world happens and life happens and we don't learn how to adjust and how to manage expectations for ourselves and it makes it really hard when things like that happen to then like cope. Right. It it seems, I wanted to ask you about this because it seems really hard to be a healthy person. Do you think that it's really hard to be a healthy person? And when I say that, I mean because you hear about the the value in meditation and in having a therapist and developing healthy relationships and exercising and eating right and all of these things that it's like, when do I actually have any time to enjoy myself because I'm just checking off all these things that are supposedly making me healthy. Yeah. So how do you balance what everybody has proven time and time again is a healthy lifestyle with what actually makes you feel good and not feeling behind because feeling behind even in your healthy activities is going to totally wreck your psyche but i think if the health plan that you have feels obligatory because everyone's telling you this is how you become healthy then it's not healthy for you Mm. like you need to know yourself and what works for you if yoga works for you great if it doesn't work for you why are you doing it seven times a week to try to be healthy you know what i mean yeah hate yoga yeah don't be a yogi and i think that people need you could put that on a t-shirt yeah i think i should i should have i should have a that's really great yeah section i think a therapist with merch is really (laughs) a great idea yeah because then you'll get people you've already got a market that it's like if i buy this i'll probably get like better answers from her yeah oh good idea i might do this But I think instead of like, how do you be a healthy person? It's like, how do you be a self-accepting person Mm -hmm. more so? But then how do you, that seems almost in conflict with trying to better yourself in the first place. But I think there's a a misconception that self-acceptance equals giving up somehow or not having goals or being lazy and that's not what it is it's just understanding i'm exploring what works for me and it doesn't have to meet some kind of standard for myself that's put upon me by the like self-care um hashtag section of instagram right you know yeah so yeah so you need to like just I, I, yeah yeah i get it it's just hard to to um you want to accept yourself but also you do need to take care of your shit basically it's like ownership of what holds you back or what can be harmful to you in meeting whatever goals you have for your life and also understanding that there are some things that you might be struggling with for a long time or forever that you can get a handle on because you acknowledge that those things exist for you and like serve yourself through experiencing them versus thinking that they're terrible and bad qualities and trying to fix them trying to fix yourself all the time yeah 
the the more every time you give me an answer, the more I'm totally convinced that a therapist with merch would be a great <laughs> sale because it's like you tell me all this stuff, and then all you'd have to be like is be like, and the thing that'll help you do that is this beer koozie or whatever. If you like, like what I just said, there's a sweatshirt on my website that you can that'll, Yeah, it'll remind you all the time. Yes. It's $45. Yes. Like, yeah, I, I really think you got something there if you want to just completely ruin people's lives um, financially and emotionally, <laughs> um, which I don't feel like is your MO. No, it's not for sure. So you are a mother now mm-hmm. and you are a new, a new, new mother, new wife. Mm-hmm. Um, you're balancing everything, I think. Are you balancing everything? No. Who's balancing everything ever? Well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's exactly. what you're so that's what you're told you're supposed to do. Yeah. We need to like get that out of our of our heads. So is Gwyneth Paltrow to blame? I think she I actually really like Gwyneth Paltrow. I think she's I do a, know. Yeah, that's why I asked you. I, I know you got all the cookbooks relatable. and everything. <laughs> yeah. I think she's very relatable. Um I think she's a fancy lady. And is a little tone deaf and grew up in a way that doesn't really allow her to understand a lot of other experiences. But I do find her company to be a little bit more inclusive and diverse in recent years. Um, But I do think there's like a whitewashing of the self-care kind of understanding that self-care is like crystals and bath salts and <laughs> yeah that's just like junk if unless you yeah. really subscribe to whatever that if it makes you feel good i guess i don't know i don't want to dump on anybody buying rocks no, i think it make if it this is the thing if it makes your life feel better in some way i'm all for it if you mm-hmm. take baths every night and that's your self-care great if your self-care needs to be having boundaries with like an abusive person that's also yeah, the bath self-care. salts not. Yeah, it's not going to help you to yeah. be in the bath. Mm-hmm. They'll know exactly where you are. Um, <laughs> but so basically, you're kind of speaking to that. There's not a one size fits all approach for self care, for self betterment, right. for a purpose, and and finding meaning or or any of that. Yeah. So everybody's an individual. Is that kind of your outlook? And everybody's problems are individualized. Absolutely. I mean, how does that make your job as a therapist exhausting? No, I think what I do a lot is try to help people understand that there's a societal and like uh, macro um, inundated sense of like what we're supposed to find purpose and meaning in mm-hmm. versus what you individually could start understanding about your unique self. And I think once I start making that distinction for people, it actually makes it my job easier because then we can kind of point to um, you're dealing with a lot of anxiety and you think that by looking at all your friends on Instagram that nobody else is experiencing that. But when you really look at the impacts of social media kind of on a macro level. Yeah. You can start to see where you're not experiencing actual anxiety. This is a normal response to a really abnormal situation. Like we shouldn't be able to see into people's lives like this and to see the perspective of their lives that people want you to see. It's going to make you feel like shit. 
So you don't yeah. have some like anxiety disorder. You have an issue that has been kind of thrust upon us. Right. You're having a, maybe a, a normal emotional response to something that historically is abnormal, which and now unfortunately is becoming, the, it is the norm, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody is on these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I find myself battling um, phone addiction in some ways where I just see my screen time going up and up and I'm, I'm like reaching for it during commercials and sometimes even in a lull during a TV show that I really wanted to watch mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I'll, I'll work for 10 minutes and then I'll grab it and look at it and no one will have messaged me. I'm just looking at my f- screen mm-hmm. and exactly. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I have to, and it's so hard to stay aware, which is kind of why I wanted to ask. It's so hard to be healthy because it seems like everywhere I look, there's something else that wants to take my time, my money, my, um, my emotions or, you know, it's just very tough. Yeah, it's a beast. I have like five books that I'm reading and I can't figure out how to just keep reading the same one Mm. for longer than 20 minutes. And I am the queen of watching something and being on my phone at the same time. Yeah. And... I have a choice. I could sit and read a book for 20 minutes or I could watch a stupid YouTube video and I'll probably watch the YouTube video. While looking at your phone. Maybe while looking at my phone. Yeah. It's so it's so um, easy to make the pretty obviously unhealthy choice. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that is. I mean, I can obviously guess it has to do with chemicals and everything that these companies are, are mm-hmm. um you know, making their product to satisfy. Yeah, it's really messed up, actually. It's it's actually very chemical. Do you feel like it makes you, it's an uphill battle for you professionally? No, not professionally. I mean, personally, for sure. But I think professionally, like I said, it's really helpful to, to un- help people understand, like, we didn't ask for all of this. So now it's about prioritizing our presence and our um, ability to really remain conscious in the face of so much uh, enticing stuff. Yeah. Like Instagram is really enticing. Yeah. It's very colorful. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. What's the goal of a therapist? Because... Like, my barber cuts my hair, but he knows I'm coming back because my hair will grow. Mm-hmm. Are you like, I know they're not going to deal with this. They're going to have to keep giving me X amount of sliding scale money or whatever, you know, each time because they they are going to have this problem. Do you want to solve your problem? I mean, is that a goal of a therapist to solve problems at all for, for people? No. I think that's a misconception, too. My goal is to support somebody through their working on whatever their goal is Mm. and I can't actually solve anybody's problem for them and I think because therapy has been framed in that way that sometimes it's about re-educating people on what their expectations really should be about therapy it's so much more work for a person going to therapy than it is for the therapist there's so much. What more do you time. mean by that? Well, there's so much more time in a person's life than the 45 minutes to an hour a week or every other week that they're sitting with me. So what are you doing in all of that time 
to kind of help yourself and work on what we've been talking about, exploring or using whatever tools that we've talked about for 45 minutes. Yeah. So you're kind of there to push people to fix their thing themselves. But not I, even I, fixing. Like that's, that's Is that a very Western a viewpoint maybe I'm sharing where it's like, or maybe it's very male. I don't know. To like <laughs> fix it. And it's like, well, now it's we don't have to worry about it anymore. Like, I think a lot of people come to therapy thinking that something's fixable when really it goes back to that self-acceptance idea of thinking, is this something that I need to fix or is this something that I need to roll with a little better and understand yeah. a little deeper? So it's, a, it's about management mm-hmm. because to share a little bit of, about myself, which I don't typically do on the podcast here, but I struggle immensely with anxiety and I've also learned that a lot of what I do is um, obs- obsessive compulsive, hmm. um, you know, like ruminating thoughts and yeah. um, convincing myself if I do this thing, then this other thing will happen and this magical thinking kind of thing. And so I, yeah. you know, was informed that I am, you know, OCD in that way because mm-hmm. um, you don't get diagnosed is what I've understood. You just kind of like people just let you know, like, yeah, that's going on. You got to get that in <laughs> check. Um so I struggle with that stuff and I, and I am getting better at catching myself when I'm having the same thought over and over or, uh, you know, slipping into this compulsive behavior where I'm like not eating and I'm just walking around. We used to be roommates. You're well aware of this. Yep. Um, but it gets worse with age, but it's not something that I can fix. It's kind of, I've had to kind of surrender to this idea that I can't change it. I just have to be aware of it and try mm-hmm. to um make the healthy choice and it's so hard because you know even with and maybe you can speak to this through your postpartum experience but even when you know in your mind what's going on and and i'm having these thoughts and these feelings it's really hard to just you know get out of the way of that bus and like slow it down yeah you also can get really caught up in judging it a lot yes yes and being really mean to yourself about it I'm very good at that. But here's the thing about you that is so interesting. Somebody who has anxiety or has perseverating thoughts, your career choice is so fascinating because you keep going in a career that really wreaks rejection onto somebody mm-hmm. and like can be so vulnerable and you put yourself out there in front of audiences and you make creative things that can uh be put out into the public for for judgment and criticism and i think if you look at that how much of a strength it is for you to know that you have anxiety know that you have these um tendencies to say things to yourself or do things that are judgmental or um, feel out of control or whatever, and then you choose to continue on a path that brings you a lot of joy, but also can be a detriment to those symptoms that you have. Yeah, it's, it's a lot amazing. of pain, and it's a lot of the same pain I find. But it's kind um, of amazing that you're able to vulnerably put yourself in a place well, where that can continue to happen. 
I appreciate that. And I think for me personally, at a, like at a young age, I kind of, you know, I, I experienced a lot of my friends uh, died uh, at my a pivotal moment in my, like in my late teens. Mm-hmm. Um, I had several instances where I had to deal with these really big things. And um, I just, or even grow, growing up earlier than that, it's like these emotions where you feel alone or you feel like you're not enough or things that I don't want other people to feel. I feel them all the time. And I know other people do. And that's kind of been a thing that's a driving force in my life and not just my career and other things like that. Mm -hmm. So I'm aware of that. And that does give me a sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, But then I I feel that. And then I'm like, now I have that now what feeling. Yeah. And I'm like, is there a meaning to any of this? What's the point? Mm -hmm. When you encounter someone saying things like what I just said, as a therapist, how do you... What what do we, what do you tell people when they're kind of like I don't know what to do now? When they say, "What's the point?" Yeah. What's the point? Because it's of- a slippery slope, right? I mean, it it seems like it could be like a major red flag, or a scary thing to hear. Let's just name that because of like suicidality. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. It's like it, it sounds like you. Oh, uh, now this isn't what I'm bringing up right now, but um. It is like, a, I think, a common thing where it's like, mm-hmm. what's the point of any of this? Which yeah. which is a road to not, not living anymore, suicidality. Yeah. But it's also such a common question. It's right. A, it's That's, an existential yeah. question we all ask. How exactly. much of this can I take? How much pain can I experience? Which is why I just pointed out to you that like your strengths are so evident too. Because you can ask that question and you yet you get up in the morning and you keep doing the kind of work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. So what I say to people is usually like, let's explore the meaning of that for them, first of all. The meaning of, you know, what's the point of any of this? Is it just that question that everybody asks? Or is it deeper? Is there some kind of thoughts of... Uh, What's the meaning of any of this? And I might take action on that. Right. Is different than like, what's the meaning of any of this that we all question? Including yourself, including including professionals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, this is an interesting name for your podcast because I think someone could say, what's the meaning of all of this? What's the meaning of life? And it could indicate a real introspective, uh, deep conversation starter or it could represent someone feeling like there's no point to life yeah that's exactly why i wanted to name it this and have these conversations because i think for most people maybe i'm wrong when i say most but for i think for most people you kind of fluctuate between the two Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not at like a fervent pace but at times in your life where you're like "I, i don't I don't want to feel this pain or I don't know what, what the point of any of this is, but I, I know I want pancakes later, so I'm going to make it to lunch or if you have lunch pancakes, whatever. Um, hey, you can have lunch pancakes. You can do whatever you want. It's you all really about can. self-acceptance. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you, you get it. That sounds great. Anyway, um, in terms of your own life, if, you'll, if you're willing to share this, is what gives you purpose is it the therapy is it now being a mom because i've known you prior to when you were a mom so was there a shift in that way 
Do you have several things that give you purpose? Can you speak to that? I really don't identify with the word purpose. I don't know what it is. I have a hard time with it. Oh, I like this. Because I don't, uh, I don't think about my purpose. I think there's so there we're such multifaceted animals mm-hmm. that to put all your eggs in a basket of purpose is so limiting. Um, and I think again, it's this kind of societal, maybe capitalistic idea that we all have some success story that we need to fulfill. And we start getting asked what we want to be when we grow up at such a young age. And that's so weird. (laughs) Yeah. What do you want to be indicates what do you want your work to be? But we have non-work identities. We actually spend so many hours working, but we have so much more to us than what we're doing for work every day. So this idea of purpose is so strange. I don't know that I have a purpose. Do you think what you just, I really like what you just said. Do you think that, and I haven't heard very many people, if any, share that. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's kind of like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, your calling card? Like, this is what I think people really need to understand. They need to rethink what it means to have a therapist. And then they need to understand that they are enough. And that purpose is very fluid or if not non-existent. It's just continue to, to try to live and be happy. Yeah, I would say that's a calling card for sure. Um, I think the idea of fluidity is really poignant too. Mm-hmm. That, like you said earlier, we have different seasons of our lives. And so we have to be open to having multiple purposes and having a purpose like in a moment. And then five minutes later, that's nothing. That's no, no longer your purpose. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's such a weird concept. It's such a Western idea about life and happiness. Yeah, it really is. Um, Thank you for doing this podcast. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to say before we shut this down? um, That like, and what I mean by that is like things that you think people maybe need to hear or that you wanted to share that we maybe didn't cover. I had a question for you just about the inception or the origin of your podcast idea. Like what made you, was there a moment or was there an experience that you had that you thought I really need to find like collective understanding of this concept? It's a good question. Um, There's no specific thing that made me want to do this. It was a couple years coming. I had this idea a while ago and I wouldn't say there was any instance that made me want to be like, this is the thing, but I've always had a hard time pinning down what I'm supposed to do because I do put a lot of stuff out there and I can be very silly and I can be very sincere and I can be, um, very, uh, biting politically. And, uh, but I also have a lot of jokes about my family and I could be really dirty. I don't really do that often, but I mostly have clean jokes. And so it's kind of like I'm just trying to find out what I'm supposed to do and what I'm supposed to um, where I'm supposed to fit in. And these are topics and questions that I find myself um, sometimes compulsively going over in my head. Mm-hmm. And I was like, maybe this is a thing that I can share about myself by asking other people what they think. And it would be a place where people could come and listen to it. 
and uh, maybe draw some things into their own life. So I'm. this is for all the um, maybe overly emotional and overly <laughs> sincere people out there. And I was like, I got to find my people somehow. <laughs> but I will say lastly, no one is overly emotional. Huh. Well, I mean, you know, for as long as we've known each other, that, that seems misguided but i trust i don't think you're i don't know what your (laughs) definition of overly emotional is but we're just emotional that's just what we are we're supposed to be that was really nice and the way that your hair is right now make that feel like a really disney princess kind of thing (laughs) to say like birds just flew right in the background oh that's lovely yeah well you know you're lovely i love you mariah thank you so much for doing this all right love you too good luck with this i'm excited to listen I've listened to all the other ones, by the way. They're all Oh, thank good. you. Thank you so much. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support the podcast, head to patreon.com slash Ryan Beck and follow me at at I am Ryan Beck on Twitter and Instagram. And be sure to check out my other podcast, Falling in Love with My Wife, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks. The Meaning of Life is produced by Ryan Beck, edited by Ryan Beck, and the music is by Shakir Stanley. Thanks for listening.